Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> and so Michael Cohen in his book draws a straight line between those two points. Now he's kind of like backed off from that and said like, no, these two things did happen in that order, but it wasn't a quid pro quo, it wasn't I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It was just coincidental or unrelated. And so, and I think he did that because once Jerry and Becky got excommunicated and they two were pariahs, I find that a lot of pariahs kind of meet each other on the outs again because they become friends again because they're now on the outs together. Hey, welcome back, Faithful Politics listeners and viewers. If you're watching us on our YouTube channel, I am your political host, Will Wright, and joined by your faithful host, Pastor Josh Bertram. How's it going, Josh? Blessings, my son. I'm doing okay. <laughs> Good. And this week we have uh, Billy Corbin, um, who's somebody I've been really, really excited to talk to because he's yes, out with, yes. a, with a new documentary called God Forbid, The Sex Scandal That Brought Down a Dynasty. It's on Hulu now. Um, he's also the director of some other um, films that you may be familiar with, like The Cocaine Cowboys, The Kings of Miami, which is on Netflix. Um, so we are really happy to have Billy. So, hey, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and and I got I to gotta tell you, Billy, like um, – when so I found out about this documentary from Anthea Butler, who you had in your um, your documentary, um, and the day it came out, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if I was one of the first people to watch it because um, I had it favorited and I was waiting for it to come out, and and I was just completely blown away. So um, I I I I love to kind of figure out like what what inspired you to make a movie about a sex scandal involving the president of the largest Christian <laughs> college in the world? And maybe the answer's in the question. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I mean, the answer the answer is not in the question. It's because um, there's always a Miami connection. Uh, that's that's actually the reason why. Um, you know, our, our genre of documentary, if you'll pardon the term, we call Florida fuckery. Um, <laughs> because we are, my, my producing partners and I are all native Floridians, lifelong Miamians. Um, and, uh, we've, we've learned through our lifetimes that the Florida of today is the America of tomorrow. Lo siento. I'm sorry, America, uh, to be the one to, <laughs> to inform you of that. But, um, it, it, it's, it seems to prove true, uh, uh, generation after generation. If you want to know what challenges we'll face or calamities will befall us as a nation in the years or even decades to come, you need only look at at, at uh, Florida, particularly South Florida, which T.D. Allman in Miami City of the Future called America's uh, canary in the coal mine, the, the bellwether. And so um, and so we our company is out of Miami. And in fact, our office on Miami Beach is eight blocks away from a, a lovely piece of property at 810 Alton Road. And it was this piece of property that um, really blew this whole the lid off this whole scandal because uh, in a 2018 BuzzFeed article by Aram Rostin, uh, now of Reuters, he uh, wrote about an unusual legal dispute happening in Miami-Dade courts over this piece of property, this $4.65 million commercial real estate property, which housed a liquor store, a very popular Italian restaurant, and what Politico described as, quote, a gay-friendly flop house, end quote, a youth <laughs> hostel on, on the roof. And here's the thing. The property was owned by the Falwell family, uh, uh, 
Jerry Jr.'s wife, Becky, his, their eldest son, uh, uh, Jerry Falwell III, also known as Trey, and their third partner, who owned 24.9% of this multi-million dollar piece of property, was Giancarlo Granda, a kid from the suburbs of Miami-Dade, who the Falwells, Jerry Jr. and Becky, met while vacationing in Miami Beach, and he was working as a pool boy, a pool attendant at the luxurious Fountain Blue Resort for a year while he was putting himself through college. Uh, and everybody asked the most obvious question, which is, what on earth are the Falwells of Liberty University doing owning this piece of property with a pool boy they met 11 months earlier and and thus <laughs> launched the scandal that ultimately inspired us to tell this this story. That's that's amazing. And and I I I think one of the things I really enjoyed about the documentary was um it's it it was very creative like like even like so, some of the is that, so, is that a compliment i'm not sure it is it is you were grasping for adjectives and that and you landed on that okay so 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 what, what i want to qualify the, the 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 creative part by um that there are certain parts of the documentary where people are like lip syncing um um and and it's like you know you you hear john carlos voice but like the mouth of like the Becky, the per the act, the actress that was playing Becky was moving, you know, and it was very like very like reminiscent of like drunk history, like <laughs> like. And I just well, it, there, it just there's captured. a lot of commonalities here with drunk history <laughs> story. Uh, I find, um, particularly the drunk part, and certainly the history part as well. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, listen, we were, uh, you know. When you're a filmmaker, uh, a documentary filmmaker, especially, you know, we, we, we kind of straddle the line between uh, journalism and entertainment. You know, our 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 obligation is always to the truth and to following the facts. Right, but we also right. have an obligation to our audience to make it. Enter I'm sure the pastor can tell you this is part of the <laughs> part of the game. You have you know, you have to stay engaging and keep your audience uh, uh, involved and paying attention from the beginning to the end. And so, um, th that's, you know, that's what we, that was the, the moment where there's a lot of B-roll, a lot of wonderful footage from Liberty university and, and, and news archive, and certainly some beautiful drone shots of Miami. But a lot of this story takes place, of course, in bedrooms, you know, at the, at the pool <laughs> of the fountain blue and, and in hotel rooms. And so we needed to find a way to visually depict that, uh, in, in a, in a, a an aesthetic that would be compelling to the audience. And also, you know, we kind of go on quite a journey uh, on this doc. You know, it, it start. you know, it, we go from like Zalman King to Ken Burns, you know, it goes from <laughs> yeah. like from Red Shoe yeah. Diaries to, to Civil War. So it's like <laughs> you, you have to, you know, the beginning is a little more what we call our genre pop docs. So like it's mm -hmm. a little bit pulpier and more pop culture oriented. And then right. it evolves. It becomes, I think, a little more a little more serious. Yeah, and, and and I I yeah, learned I learned a word in the documentary that I it, I've heard before, but I just don't I don't use it very often, and that's the word cuck. Um, and um, kind of in my you know in my before watch show, your mouth, Will. Watch <laughs> your mouth. In my oh. in my be, in my before show research, I was I I googled like what what does the word cuck mean? And don't, I swear, don't do it. Don't do it. Bro. <laughs> Trust me. I did it in like 2015 or 26. Don't do it. And, and don't go to images, dude. Do not no. click on images. No, or videos. Don't click videos either. Well, the, the, the one definition I landed on, which, which ultimately I found in Urban Dictionary, which I know is like, you know, 
gonna like extremely spin. tested and peer reviewed <laughs> and accurate. yes yes you know, yes I, I know where you're going with this because there was a rough cut of the documentary <laughs> that contained this uh this uh definition <laughs> and so so it says a a cuck gold or cuck for short is a person who finds sexual pleasure and their partner having intercourse with people that are not him so is is that the definition you think best best describes um uh, jerry falwell in your documentary poor pastor john he had no idea what he was going to <laughs> oh no. please please bring it out bring it out <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so uh, this is certainly what Giancarlo Granda alleges um, that the nature, you know, that when he was working at the the pool, and this these were sort of the blanks that the blogosphere and the Twitterverse started to fill in when mm. when that first pool attendance story came out because it was a lot of conjecture and a lot of insinuation, but nothing really concrete. And Giancarlo wouldn't wouldn't break his silence for another two years. And the Falwells certainly weren't talking. So everybody started saying, well, what is the true nature of this relationship? And as Giancarlo uh, now tells it, um, that he was at the pool, uh, Becky Falwell, who he described as a cougar, was in a bikini on one of the <laughs> on one of the on one of the uh, poolside beds that they had, these big, like, kind of circular cushion beds they had poolside at the Fountain Blue. It's a very Vegas-esque kind of an environment. Parties, drinks, DJs, live acts. It's very festive. And so um, she she was taking pictures of him with her cell phone. Little did he know she was actually sending those pictures, texting them to her husband upstairs in in the hotel suite. And she starts flirting with him and ultimately propositions him saying, you know, at, when your shift's over, you'll want to come back to my to my hotel room. Uh, and he says, sure. And and the way he tells it is Becky said to him, one one thing though, my husband likes to watch. And so Ooh. this this was not he had no idea, by the way, who these people were. This was just a cougar and her wild, you know, kind of swinger husband or whatever, whatever. Uh, in fact, Becky told him uh, he claims that the night before they had gone to a place called Miami Velvet, which is Roger Stone's favorite swinger club in uh, in Miami, and they didn't like the scene. It was too public, and they were looking for a more private uh, arrangement, and and hence this proposition. And so, what what began there, according to Giancarlo, is a, a kind of seven year, you know, cuckold threesome turned real estate <laughs> turned real estate partnership turned bringing him into their like family and their fold and their inner circle of the most powerful people in the world and this kind of butterfly effect story where this 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 cuckold thruppling in Miami you know a butterfly flaps its wings and changes the course of history that this cuckold thruppling at the Miami Beach pool may have impacted the outcome of the last two uh, presidential elections. And so that's that's what really got us interested is that there's a micro macro kind of story here, o- almost a Trojan horse where it's like you can tempt the audience with the candy and then mm-hmm. then slide some broccoli uh, <laughs> in there along the way. Oh, dude, I love that. You know, I first so I remember we, we do like a, a phone call every Monday night, like me and some of the guys from the church and Will's part of that with me. And we talk about all sorts of stuff. And I remember when that, the infamous picture with uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. with his pants unbuttoned or whatever that went on Instagram. And we were like, what is that? Like, and I'm like, man, he, he I don't think he posted that on purpose, dude. I think that was a mistake. 
No, he did, to do. he did it on purpose. He did it on purpose. <laughs> and then he yeah, they couldn't he find out. On purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then all this story breaking out, and then finally, like seeing, like I mean, this um, Giancarlo um, Granda and and the story coming out. And what what did you have any concerns or or? How did you handle anything like in terms of the credibility of Jean-Claude? Oh. Now, again, I'm not in, implying that there isn't. I'm, it sounds like there is. But I'm just wondering, how did you handle that? Um, how did that process with him? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've spent about two years talking to Giancarlo. He first reached out to us in June of 2020 via email to see if we wanted to to tell this story and make this documentary. Um, and it took quite a few months. That was in the thick of the pandemic, to, quite a few months to just first get together with him uh, and then ultimately make the decision to move forward and, and shoot the interviews, um, which were four days over like a year. But during that entire time, I mean, from the moment he first reached out straight through um, like this last summer when we were finishing the movie for release, he wa- we were demanding corroboration and we were following up uh, and we were looking for all of the evidence we could to support, you know, his telling of the story. And, and so he provided copious amounts of text messages far well, many multitudes of what you see sampled in the documentary. He provided mm. photographs, he provided emails, he provided contracts, he provided, um, uh, well, video, uh, some of which is excerpted. In uh, in the documentary, I went and found wedding video because Giancarlo claimed that he attended the weddings of both of the Falwell's sons. And so I, we went and, and after the video and found him in in, in the video. Um, he was he's wow. sitting in the back row of the pews at the at the at the chapel during one wedding. He was sitting back to back with Becky Falwell at the ne- very next table, back to back with her at the reception. So, you know, things just started to, to add up. Everything he told us, we said we need something. We went to, we looked at affidavits, right. affidavits that Jerry Falwell Jr. filed under oath in the court proceedings in Miami. In, in fact, some of the facts were corroborated by the Falwells themselves through various media outlets and, and that affidavit, for example. Dude, that's amazing, dude. I love, I love, I, I just love hearing, um, the inside scoop, you know, as to how, you know, people, uh, like method is really like important to me. Like, how do you look at this stuff? What do you ask for? What are you doing? Because obviously you can't just publish something that you don't have or you're not supposed to, you know, that yeah. you don't have evidence for. And so it's really cool to hear that. I'm, you know, I'm a docu listen, I'm a documentary filmmaker. People people lie to me all yeah. the time. People lie to me all the time. <laughs> and so so I'm an I'm a sort of a natural born skeptic, you know? And, <laughs> That's good. and I, I I believe what I what I can see and I believe what what evidence and, and experience uh and experimentation uh, will will show me and reveal. Yes. You know, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, and so I need to see. I need to see results. I need to see tangible evidence to to. You know, I'm not just going to take your word for it. You know. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like that. Um, it's like that a journalism axiom, which is uh, if your mother tells you that she loves you, make sure you check the sources. You know, you always yeah, have to make sure that. <laughs> I and I live in make Miami. Sure it's quality. It, it, 
if somebody tells me the sky is blue, I'm going to, I'm going to open the window. And take a look outside. You better believe <laughs> Make that. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting, like thinking about this story, right? Because obviously like, I'm just imagining myself having now again, I would never, I, I, I would never do this. Which part? Let me put that out. Yeah. Which part would you, which part Let, would you never do? Uh, many, 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 many things. Anything Josh. that I say on this podcast cannot be held against me in a court of law or anything. Yeah, else. sure. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but I'm trying to imagine myself in this scenario on either side, like being propositioned or being the one going and saying, like, "Hey, uh, you want to come?" And you know. Uh, you know, I'm going to watch you while you sleep with my wife. And not I'm, my, not, so my, I'm, not my kink. Not my, by the way, no, nobody's, dude. nobody's trying to kink shame the Falwells either. I mean, mm-hmm. whatever you're into, whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, you're, whatever, whatever you need yeah. in your marriage that you decide together that, and also this, this guy was 20 years old at the time. He was a mm-hmm. consenting adult. He might've, right. it might've been a significant power disparity. He might've thought he knew what he was getting himself into and then found himself over in over his head. In fact, I, I call this documentary, it's like the movie get out meets the righteous gemstones. You know, that's like, <laughs> that's like John, you know, he get he gets like sort of honey trapped into this world and then is like, you know, is intoxicated by it, by at his, his own words, his own description. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. suddenly realize like, maybe this is not, you know, all that glitters is not, is not gold and, and this holy yes. hypocrisy may be dangerous for me and, and, and Liberty mm-hmm. and the country. Um, and, and so, um, I, well, here's getting back to cuck for a moment, this cuckold, cause this is the kink. The kink is allegedly this, this, this cuckolding, by the way, come to Miami, spend money, come to a club, drink, have safe sex with consenting adults. That's what Miami is here for. I encourage it, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, but then don't go back to Lynchburg and find students and fire faculty <laughs> and suspend people for doing exactly what it is that you're doing. I mean, they, they thought the 10 commandments right. were like a bucket list here in Miami, you know, the fall. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, I, I just, I just think that that's where the, that's where the, and that's where Giancarlo started to have, you know, through the years, some, some conflict at the beginning, he didn't actually see them as hypocrites. He told me, he goes, cause I, they weren't religious leaders to me. They weren't mm-hmm. proselytizing mm. to me. They weren't preaching to mm. me. They were the, they were the party couple, you know, that I, that I knew in, <laughs> in Miami. We, we went out to nightclubs, right. we drank, we, we had sex. So it's like, he didn't, he didn't see it that way, but I looked up about 2015. It was the election cycle when when it seemed that, that, that by and large conservatives on social media started weaponizing this word cuck to describe libtards and, yeah, and, and to yeah, go after yeah. go after people on the left who they saw as soft or woke or whatever. And so I didn't actually know what it meant, but I was called one on the Twitter machine. So I had, no. so I made I made the same terrible mistake that Will did. I opened a browser, you know, a, a new tab <laughs> in my browser, and I went to UrbanDictionary.com or I went to Google and I said, "What's a cuck?" <laughs> and then I saw what it was much. To, and then I'm just like, wait a second. Why do you know what this means? Like, you're yeah, the one yeah. who, like, what? like, this is not my, thing. like, like, you're the one who, like, this seems to say a I've lot never even heard of it before. It does about me. Yeah. Like, what are you, what are you going on about? But yeah. I, and and yes. I, you know, we interviewed Giancarlo's older sister in the documentary, which is mm. a weird thing. And believe me, it's weirdest of all for her. Yeah, she, it took her like eight months to decide whether or not she wanted to do this, and I did not push her because when yeah. she said That's no, funny, I yeah. was like, I was like, I don't blame you. Like, what older yeah. sister wants to come on camera and talk about your little brother's sex life? It's like a really awkward thing. It's very but, awkward. But but she was like the voice of reason 
through mm-hmm. all of this because she was the one calling him out like what the heck are you doing this is stupid don't do this like she was the voice of the audience you know sure, like, the, sure. the voice of reason mm-hmm. so so that i thought was really helpful like mm-hmm. sort of understanding the situation and understanding that Giancarlo was making decisions with the with his other head or as yeah, he yeah. Quote, puts it i was a 40 20 year old you know <laughs> yeah yeah well uh, i mean like so she, she, she was also in some of those pictures though i thought like so. <laughs> we cut a lot so they hung out with the the Falls brought Giancarlo mm. into their family. They treated him as another son. He was friends mm. with their adult sons and daughter. He would Whoa. he would go to the the ranch at Lynchburg and stay in their guest house and 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 have sex with Becky there. What with, you know, obviously without the kids knowing. Um, you know, they uh, he when when Giancarlo occasionally had like was dating girls his own age. He would take them to visit the Falwells. The Falwells befriended the girlfriends, would text them. One of them was pre-med, and they invited them to move to Lynchburg. They would get her an internship at a hospital, and Giancarlo could work at Liberty. Wow. And uh, and then um, uh, oh, and they befriended the parents. They sent Giancarlo's mother a Christmas gift every single year. They went to dinner with them. You see pictures of this. We don't really get into it. Wow. But they went to dinner with them at the Italian restaurant on the property that they, you know, their tenant on the property that they own. And like, they were really, and his parents, you know, he says this in the doc thought that this was just a good Christian family that was helping their son get a leg up in business. And in their first transaction, um, well, the first business transaction, anyway. Um, they, uh, hey, um. He was Giancarlo was a was effectively a real estate millionaire. You know, uh, less than eleven months after meeting uh, these folks. Wow, hmm. that's unbelievable. And I guess what I'm thinking is like imagining myself, even where I would get like even the even the the um, gumption, or I'm trying to <laughs> think of the word to even say this. My question is. Did you find any evidence that this was the first time or that this was not the first time something like this had happened? I mean, assuming, I mean, what what do you think? I'll let you speak on not to, it. Not to, not to dodge the question, but I want to say I, I've been doing a lot of interviews about this documentary, and this is the first time the term gumption has come up and and I and I want to say I'm surprised that it is cuz it's a very good I like in Miami we call it cojones I guess right it's sort of the same Yeah, I could have said that. that I decided I'd be the pastor and not say that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh no, but um so I will say I was we were not satisfied with with the corroboration we were able to 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 get, but I will tell you that um after uh Becky Falwell left the fountain blue checked out of, on that particular vacation in the spring of 2012. She went to TripAdvisor and gave Giancarlo a very good review for helping make up her bed uh, at the pool. And, um, and so it turns out Becky was a rather prolific uh, TripAdvisor reviewer. And there are other hotels and other resorts in Miami beach and the Bahamas where she complimented other employees by name. Um, and, you know, considering Giancarlo's story and, and her name checking and complimenting him in her review, there are other leads to follow up. Let me, let me just put it to you that way. And, and ultimately when Giancarlo came forward for the first time in late August of 2020, when, when Aaron Rostin's Reuters story dropped, um, Politico within days had a, a bombshell article about a former bandmate and Liberty University student, uh, a former bandmate of Trey of their of their oldest son, 
Um, he was a Liberty University student, I believe, at the time. This boy was like the drummer or something of the band, and he had crashed at the Falwell's uh, guest house one night and claims that he awoke to Becky Falwell filleting him. I mean, performing oral sex on him. He told her no. She kind of shushed him, shushed him down and then pursued him via text and in, 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 in what Giancarlo describes as a similar way uh, or a similar manner to that, which she pursued him with sort of like love notes, love songs, uh, daily affirmations, memes, uh, uh, about love and, and, um, and, uh, and, and, and devotion and, um, and then getting him gifts and things. And so, yeah, so there, 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 there are certainly documentation of, of at least this one other, um, this one other man, um, hmm. or, or young adult, um, and, and there may be others hmm. we don't know. Wow. So, so just, just for the record, um, in the event, my wife, um, listens or watches this episode, she doesn't watch all of them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, hope, I hope she doesn't watch this one. Yeah. Uh, uh, I just, I just, I just want, I just want to say that. I hope my uh, mother doesn't watch this one. That's God. what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I just want to reassure my wife and family that the reviews that I currently have on this podcast, um, I have no relationship with them whatsoever. <laughs> so just I, I just want to make sure that I'm I'm establishing that that fact on air. Uh, yes, and it's re- recorded. But for here's all the deal. Let me just make this point: like there is absolutely no way. Yeah, okay, and let me take that back. It seems improbable to me that that could have been the first time something like this could have happened. And that's all I'll say. I mean, how could, anyway, <laughs> go ahead, Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, um, th- 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 there were, there were a couple of like unexpected characters that showed up in the documentary. Um, <laughs> and one, one of which was Roseanne Barr's ex-husband. And I'm curious if you can maybe talk about that and how is he connected to this whole thing? Tom Arnold at the time was on a crusade against Donald Trump. You know, uh, he was very public and vocal about it. He he had this series uh, on Vice, you know, the cable network called The Hunt for the Trump Tapes. You'll recall, I think he was on like Celebrity Apprentice and he had claimed that Mark Burnett, the executive producer of that show, was sitting on uh, a an absolute mountain of incriminating outtakes from that program of Donald Trump just saying horrifically racist um, uh, homophobic, misogynistic, uh, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic things, which, uh, you know, I'm clutching my pearls right now. I'm, I'm shocked, wow. shocked, uh, that, that, <laughs> that, that such video would exist anywhere. But nonetheless, uh, Tom was very vocal about this crusade. It never turned up anything, but, but, but part and part, but obviously like, I wasn't like, Oh, you know, we need interview for this documentary. It was Tom Arnold. Like what a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre thing. And in, and in fact, one of our other interview subjects calls it out. Mark Evan like says like, like why the hell is Tom Arnold involved in this? You know, like why is this happening? Like that's how we kind of introduce him into the documentary. And it's because he wound up talking with people who had been kind of excommunicated from Trump world at that point, including uh, Donald Trump's former attorney and fixer. Um, and they uh, he he after he was sort of you know indicted and kind of turned states evidence if you will <laughs> and testified before Congress, Tom Arnold reached out to uh, Michael Cohen and recorded several conversations that they had. One of which was about um, how Jerry Falwell Jr. came to be the first evangelical leader to endorse Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. This twice 
divorced uh, Democrat abortionist playboy from New mm-hmm. York City. Might as well be Sodom and Gomorrah. And, <laughs> and a man with five children from three different women and like like very much outside the profile of what you would expect uh, an evangelical candidate to be, particularly in an in a primary with Ted Cruz, who is in mm-hmm. fact uh, an evangelical whose father is a pastor right. who mm-hmm. chose to announce in 2015 his own presidential campaign for 2016 at convocation at Liberty University in the Liberty Flames mm-hmm. uh, arena. Um, mm-hmm. In front of an audience of 10,000. So he thought he had the Jerry Falwell Jr. endorsement <laughs> in the bag. He thought he had the evangelical vote in the bag. And it turned out that Jerry Falwell Jr. really kicked down the door and rolled out the red carpet in the in, in that very passionate and powerful voting block for Donald Trump instead. And so in trying to get to the bottom of that or explaining the origin stories of that, Michael Cohen had a very interesting uh, tale to tell. And he told it <laughs> first to, of all people. Michael Cohen. Yeah, I mean, were they sorry, friends? Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold. Yeah, like, like, like were, were they friends? Like prior, did they have a relationship? No, I listen. I think it's hard when you live your whole life in a in a in a very specific circle, and then you get excommunicated. You know, from that circle, when you become a pariah in your world, like Michael Cohen did, I don't think you have a lot of friends anymore. You know, and so mm-hmm. you he was he found like this new set of friends and fans amongst the resistance. You know, and and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess he's he called his podcast "Mea Culpa" for a reason, mm-hmm. but he's certainly <laughs> Michael Cohen is certainly a colorful uh, character. I spoke with him on the phone. He mm-hmm. he declined to go on camera, and he kind of has backed off his story a little bit. Because mm-hmm. what the story he originally told in his book, he he has these two dots, right? He has this favor he did for Jerry Falwell Jr., which I'll explain in a moment, mm-hmm. and then he has um, <laughs> the book. And so and so Michael Cohen in his book draws a straight line between those two points. Now he's kind of like backed off from that and said like, no, these two things did happen in that order, but it wasn't a quid pro quo. It wasn't I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It was just coincidental or unrelated. And so, and I think he did that because once Jerry and Becky got excommunicated and they two were pariahs, I find that a lot of pariahs kind of meet each other on the outs again because they become friends again because they're now on the outs together, you know, and and they have kind of common ground in that way. But long story even longer, what happened was, is that when this legal dispute erupted in Miami, as I said, like the reason any of us know about this in the first place is that. Giancarlo Granda had brought in some buddies of his who he, he, he believed to be sophisticated real estate operators who turned out to be perhaps a little less so. And he. The Fernandez, um, right? The Fernandez uh, junior and senior. Yes. Father and son. And, um, and they initially sort of helped them scout out some potential properties. They had a falling out. And the Fernandezes later claimed that they were promised a piece of this this action, a piece of this property, and they were screwed out of it in this deal. And so they threatened to sue in Miami-Dade County. uh, And they claimed that once we file this lawsuit and it becomes a public record, not only are we going to sue over this real estate venture, but we're going to have to reveal the true nature of the relationship between Giancarlo Granda and the Falwells. And we, and they claimed that they had photographic evidence, compromising photos that would prove that this relationship was more than just this, this real estate partnership. And so they were, they seem to be presenting that in a way to say, or to incentivize the Falwells to settle 
this matter and write a check and and make them go away. Instead, Jerry Falwell Jr. calls up his buddy, Michael Cohen, um, you know, fixer in Trump world, a uh, friend of his since a 2012 convocation in which a pre-presidential Donald Trump appeared. And John uh, Carlo Grande, in fact, was a VIP in attendance and met Donald Trump. <laughs> they got his, got his copy of Art of the Deal uh, autographed. In fact, he was a big fan at the time. <laughs> and so um, uh, he calls up Michael Cohen and he says, can you help us with this? And Michael Cohen made a couple calls. And to his credit, he fixed it as a fixer should. He made these guys go away mm. uh, for several years anyway. And those photos never saw the light of day. But where the photos did go was to Michael Cohen. So Michael Cohen was now in possession of the compromat that the Fernandezes uh, had originally uh, uh, attempted to use as leverage in their settlement off, uh, how, uh, demand. How did, how did the Fernandez get their hands on the pictures in the first place? Do you know? I don't know. And, and that's, in fact, why you know I, I asked Giancarlo up, down, left, right, and sideways about it. Um, he gives us an, his, his answer in the, uh, in the documentary, which is that he doesn't know um, and there's only a finite number of ways they could have gotten them. But Giancarlo does does admit to his credit that those were all photos that he was in possession of. Um, so how they go from Giancarlo to the Fernandezes is really the question. And we were not able to get a satisfactory uh, answer uh, to that that we were able to corroborate and then publish in the doc. Mm. So you had mentioned... You know, obviously, this convocation at Liberty, you've mentioned it a few times, um, you know, where uh, Ted Cruz made his announcement uh, that he's running campaign. And this seems to be or, or like the followers put their support behind someone. Can you help us understand the significance of the convocation at Liberty, even for people that don't quite understand even like what liberty i mean obviously it's a college but how did liberty get to where it is as so as so significant politically especially with it being such a clearly religious evangelical institution um what why is it so significant to be at the convocation what what does liberty itself play as a part of this i want to start by saying that this is not a documentary about christians and christianity this is a documentary about people who exploit Christians and Christianity for power. That's good. And profit, and That's for good. Power and profit, and and they yeah. do so by by using the pulpit. That's what you know, and, and that's what they do. And and in many ways, and Giancarlo saw it this way as well. The, the Liberty University community, students, faculty, alumni, they were collateral damage victims of this scandal because it brought a great deal of embarrassment. It arguably diminished the quality of the education, the reputation of the institution, the value of their their diploma, and that's not yeah, fair. sure. You know, you know many, yeah, you know, totally, many of them totally. Are, yeah, many of them are true believers yeah. in in both. I the love gospel. liberty as an institution. I've you anyway, yeah, but I, I really it's a gorgeous it. campus, yeah. and 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 there's people whose parents send them there to be to be educated with you know uh, 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 within the confines of of their faith. And uh, and were true believers in both the Gospels and what they believed the mission of that institution was, um, and there was clearly a, a, a disparity between that community and the leadership of the university, particularly under Jerry Falwell Jr. I think it's important, you know, to to, to start there because this is not an attack on on Liberty University. I don't think it's particularly an attack on anybody. I know some people disagree. Um, sure, but, sure. But convocation is a, is an interesting event. There's compulsory attendance if you live on campus. Uh, as I said, it's in the wow. Liberty Flames basketball arena. Seats about 10,000 
people. It's a it's three times a week. Many times it is just um, a chapel. It is you know it's bands. It's 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 preaching. It's you know it's what you'd expect at a Christian university. You know, um, right? But right. but but that means the convocation, of course, takes on. Uh, it has that veneer of religiosity. It it says that what you are hearing here are the gospels. What you are hearing here is 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 the fact according to God. And 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 therein lies the problem. Um, because what you see in the cynicism here is you see people attempting to replace God and replace religion with false idols, with their own ideology and their own pursuit of of power and 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 profit. And so what starts to happen is, is you have a lot of politicians who come in, um, particularly uh, conservative politicians running for office, particularly in a, on, you know, national office. You know, you've seen uh, through the years, and this all starts with really Jerry Falwell Sr., who was uh, labeled a kingmaker for his influence in electing uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, and that carried all the way through to Jerry Jr., who after the election of Donald Trump, uh, and he was sort of branded and seen as a, a power player, a political power player and kingmaker. Convocation became OAN. It became Newsmax. It became what what jo- what hmm. Jerry Jr. himself described to Judge Janine as the Fox News of universities. And it became a mouthpiece for the Trump, not only the Trump administration, but kind of the the grifters in his, you know, in his orbit. You know, everybody who was looking to profit from their their affiliation. Uh, with with Trump and the administration, and so everybody went there. Everybody went there to sell their books. Everywhere, and and again, students who were required to attend started to become. Some of them started to become resentful at at what they perceived as the political indoctrination when they were there for religious, you know, uh, education and experience, right. and they right. started becoming cynical about the entire operation uh, and as well, and demanding reform. Yeah, you know. I think one of, one of the, the the best things I loved about your film um, is is the way that you threaded that needle between um, sort of the rise of the of the religious right um, and you know and just it, the the effects that it it can have on our society you know and I think you you, you finished up the documentary um, you know talking just briefly about January sixth um, and. And, you know, as, so, so as a podcast that focuses exclusively kind of on that, that middle point between religion and politics, I, I, I mean, one of, it's one of the reasons why I, I was eager to watch it and have been telling people that they need and should watch it. Um, Thank you. You know, I'm, 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 I'm curious on your thoughts about the continuation of, of this movement. I mean, you, you spent a lot of time, you know, looking at the stuff, you know, maybe in ways that you've, you've never done before. And, and for us, like we, like we see, or at least I see personally in like this crescendo of like Christian nationalism happening in our country. I mean, you got like, I don't know, like 70% of, 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 people in the faith community supporting Herschel Walker, you know, over an actual pastor, you know, like, like there's, there's we should should put, we should put women in prison for getting abortions, but the men who pay for them should go to the U S Senate. That's yeah, exactly. Exactly. The only way, the only way you're going to be able to get an abortion in this country is if you were uh, Herschel Walker's girlfriend. 
that's the cynicism of this that I find troubling. I'm not a religious man, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, mm-hmm. But but as I said earlier, I believe what I can prove and what I see with my own eyes, what I have evidence of. Sure. I've seen faith save people. Full stop. I've seen it happen. It doesn't require sure. my belief or my faith for me to say that I've seen faith turn drug addicts and alcoholics into good fathers and and mm. homeowners and contributing members of society. I've seen faith yeah, turn murderers into virtual saints. You know, I I've seen it. So so again, I can prove it because I I, I the proof is again in the pudding. I don't have to be a believer to 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 see that I that that is a thing. Sure. And that is fine. I don't if 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 what you believe makes you a better person, a better spouse, a better parent, a be, uh, you know, a a better American, a better human, literally God bless. <laughs> like, like I love it. I want to be, I want to be on a planet with good humans and good parents and good people. However, <laughs> yeah. you, how, whatever your journey is, however, whatever your belief is, however you get there, but then don't judge me and my beliefs or lack thereof. The, as the famous jurist said, your right. right to wave your hands around ends where my nose begins and don't <laughs> impose your your views and your faith and your on on me or on our government because that flies in the face of what our founding fathers you know truly uh, believed in government shouldn't be in religion and religion shouldn't be in government okay that's that it, full stop i mean anyone who tells you different is perverting the 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 founding documents and the and the intent of our founding fathers um and and that said i think when you look at the cynicism of the rise in the the religious right, the conventional wisdom, Randall Balmer, a an evangelical uh, pastor that we interviewed in the documentary, who wrote a, a sensational 2014 Politico piece called "The Real Origins of the Religious Right," who kind of turns this idea on on its head that the conventional wisdom that it was Roe versus Wade that mobilized evangelicals into politics. It really wasn't. Um, the Catholics, to their credit, were right on that issue. That was a, that was considered a Catholic issue, and they believed that, and they fought, and they pushed back uh, against it. Um, evangelicals, on the other hand, to say there was dissent is being conservative, uh, pun intended, because <laughs> because th- their pardon me, their values and ideology was more consistent with small government. The government has no place in this decision. This belongs to a woman her doctor, her family, her faith. And we don't want we don't want the government infringing upon our rights as, as Christians and we don't want the government a big government involved in those decisions. And but that wasn't good enough for people like Jerry Falwell senior who was looking to raise more revenue and was looking to control more people and become a political force because a he he didn't like desegregation. He wanted to he, he started a de, uh, you know a segregation academy so that White students would not have to coexist with with black students. He had his uh, uh, he and many other people who headed segregation academies and opened them uh, had their tax exempt status threatened by the IRS. He said you can't you you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be tax uh-huh. exempt and be racist and discriminate. Yeah. Pick one or the other. And <laughs> Pick one. none of these issues were working publicly. They weren't winning. Uh, uh, racism didn't sell the, this whole IRS tax thing. Nobody was buying into this. So they needed issues. And so what Falwell senior did 
was tap into the culture wars of the 1970s. He railed against the Equal Protection uh, Amendment and against women's rights and feminism. He railed against divorce, against pornography, the famous People versus Larry Flint uh, you know, storyline. Mm-hmm. He railed against uh, gay rights and, in fact, had his first taste of political success in Miami-Dade County, where he fought alongside Anita Bryant in 1977 to overturn Miami-Dade's gay rights ordinance. It was the first equal rights protection you know, local ordinance for, for gays and lesbians in, in the South, uh, and they successfully got it overturned. But again, these weren't really set. The 1970s was sort of the, you know, was the liberalization of America, the diversification of America. And they needed something a little bit sexier. And then in 1978, something happened. And a, and and this abortion, anti-abortion movement that the Catholics had really uh, championed helped elect like four or five United States senators, Republicans who were very much the underdogs against pro-choice Democrats. They kicked their asses. And and then Paul Wyrick, a GOP conservative um, uh, mover and shaker, a, a, a you know, a, a really a political guy and, and, you know, more so than a religious guy. Um, he ultimately co-founded the Moral Majority with Jerry Falwell Sr. And he said, this is the demagoguery we need. Branding people baby killers is a winning issue amongst, you know, to just inflame the passions of our, of our, of our uh, uh, flock and get them to, to vote the way we tell them to vote from the pulpit. And it was not pro-life. It was pro-power. And as as mm. Paul Weyrich famously said on 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 audio on a secret audio recording in 1980, quote, now many of our Christians have what I call the goo goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. So he said the quiet part out loud, and that is still the tactic today, 42 years later. Is it, is it, is it, I, I read that in, in Anthea Butler's, um, uh, white evangelical racism, which is a phenomenal book. And I mean, she was on our, our program just a couple weeks ago, but, um, that's, that's awesome. Uh, go, go ahead, Josh. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, that's so, no, no. It's so, it's so cool. And, you know, I, I, I just want to take a step back for a moment and talk about process for a second, because you mentioned a lot of different film, um, and different recordings. And obviously like, like I'm, I'm doing school, I'm in a doctoral program right now. And, um, and the research where you get so much, you have way too much then you can use. And that's the point, right? So you got to write within a certain limit and you got to have, I'm sure they give you some kind of time limit or something that you have to work. So they say, Pastor Josh, uh, uh, write drunk, edit sober. (laughs) That's what they say. So um. (laughs) there you go. There you go. You know, I guess my question is, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I, 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 no, I see, I see, I see where you're. Yeah, going. what's your process? What's the process? I told you we had we had four days of interviews in total with Giancarlo, I mean, that's an extraordinary amount of of material on that one interview alone. Uh, add to that all the hours of convocation, you know, uh, uh, footage and and the news B roll and and a lot of story we wanted to tell. A lot of documentaries these days, as you know, are multi parters. They could be two, three, four, five, ten parts. You know, and and we probably could have very right. easily done that, done that here. But yes, 
there was a time limit. Yeah. And, and when you're, when you have basically a featured doc runtime, which in this case, about an hour and 47, hour and 48 minutes uh, before the credits, um, you don't have a lot of time to tell necessarily both the micro and the macro that we're trying to tell. So you have to be very economical uh, about it and you have to be very efficient about it. But that's, that's a good, that's a good challenge. I would say limitations breed creativity. Um, you know, if you have unlimited sort of time and resources, whatever, you'll just, you know, as my producing partner, Alfred Spellman always says, the amount of, of work you have to do will, will expand or contrast based on the amount of time you have to do it. You know, no matter, you know, anybody in school now, like when you're cramming the night before to get a paper done or an assignment done or for a, it never changes. You're going to do that your whole life. You're never going to be done with like ample time. <laughs> you know, to, to chill and kick back and relax and turn the thing. Yes. In well and it, yes. It never, it's always an, it ends with an all nighter, you know? Um, so, uh, you, 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 there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of trial and error. Cause you know, our timeline, our chronology here is not, you know, chronological. It is slightly, you know, it is slightly, uh, uh, experimental. There are flashbacks, there are flash forwards, and you want to achieve those without making the audience feel like, Oh no, we're coming to a screeching halt here and you know going back in time and it's going to get confusing and you know um so you have to do it also in this in an aesthetically compelling way and to be perfectly honest um the lawyers come in as well and and make and make decisions um you know and and make creative decisions effectively that we then have to smooth over so it doesn't appear like the movie has been lawyered but 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 obviously they are uh, <laughs> a, a pre- they are they are a presence physically and otherwise in the not not physically but but otherwise in the editing yes. they're very much the, the jedi ghost of lawyers is, is always <laughs> dwelling there in the background yeah, you don't have enough uh, evidence to say that you can't say that <laughs> or, and, 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 we, and we have to make sure to be objective and fair and 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 listen we all exist in our own media silos right now we are in in, in my company we're constantly playing devil's advocate and, and arguing back and forth with each other if we do this we have to do this if we say this we have to we have to say that and you want to make sure you're stepping outside you know uh, your echo chamber and 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 ensuring there's no confirmation bias that we are presenting you know the, the objective truth the, the, to the best of our our ability uh, you know with 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 everything you just said i'm i'm curious and you know feel free to not answer this question if if you ah! can't <laughs> uh but but like was was there was there some you know footage or a story that you you really wanted to tell uh, either because it was really uh, interesting, salacious, whatever, you know, but, but you didn't have enough time to either one fully investigate it um, or two just, just not enough time within sort of the boundaries of your, of your film. Like well, yes. what are those stories? Awesome. Great. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all I can say. I'm not going to bring, you know, I, I mean, uh, if, if I, if, if I could repeat them here, we would have put them in the dock, uh, but, but I will say, no, I will say there, there have been stories reported, um, pub- already publicly and published, um, that I, I would have liked to have included if we had the time, but we had to obviously try to focus on our micro and, and macro. And if things didn't, if the details didn't, you know, didn't sort of support either of those uh, buckets. Then, then we had to obviously cut it for cut it for time. But there's always some interesting stories about uh, out there uh, already um, in the media about the Falwells having um, 
having used real estate because Jerry Jr. is uh, by, by training and trade a real estate attorney, a very successful one by all accounts, an impressive uh, portfolio in and around the Lynchburg area. There's a quote from a Liberty student uh, in a Politico story that says, we're not a university. We are a real estate hedge fund is really what we are. Um, and, wow. and Jerry Jr. Jerry Jr. helped make a lot of people in that area very, very rich through real estate, through construction. He did about $100 million in capital, you know, uh, in campaigns and improvements on that. And it's a beautiful facility. I mean, the the, the, the campus, Giancarlo says it himself, it's the most beautiful college campus he's ever seen. I mean, everything is like new and state of the art. Um, and that's all Jerry Jr., you know, helping to grow that university into the powerhouse that it is into a multi-billion dollar, um, you know, endowment. Um, and uh, so um, we, uh, there's stories about, let's say their generosity to say other young men in and around Virginia who got the benefit of quote unquote, sweetheart deals on property that the Falwells and controlled through Liberty university. Um, and, 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 <laughs> I don't want to say anymore, but like there, there, there's other there's other stories that I thought were would have sure. been very interesting that that would have helped kind of to support the storytelling in God forbid, but that we just didn't have it was just too far far afield and we just didn't have time for it. Yeah. Uh, so so I I had to, I just have two more questions. Uh, the yeah. the the first is like what what has been sort of the overall reception of the of the film um i mean like i i know i i loved it i know josh loved it but i i can only imagine that it yeah so 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 well in these in these very divisive times it is divisive i will say that that by and large it has been favorable from from multiple (laughs) multiple uh uh, ideological spheres i think you know the, the the falwells like i said you know there, there were, there were, there was collateral damage in that scandal. Who people from people who are of people who were Falwell believers at one point, and so they don't have like a a big constituency anymore, you know. And and so a lot of people felt betrayed uh, by them uh, personally and spiritually and economically and and otherwise. So um, there's been a lot of positive. Then of course there's the there's the corner uh, who thinks I'm a libtard cuck. Um, and then I'm just like, I'm like, am I the cuck? Really? Is that who the cuck is here? I mean, of all people in this situation, uh, you're going to call me like, not, by the way, not that there's anything wrong with that, just mm-hmm. not my king, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, and it is, you know, I, I, people have complained, like, how do we draw that straight line to January 6th and, and the Dobbs decision? Um, you know, again, uh, you know, fair point. If you want to criticize the, the storytelling or the journalism, I I I, I accept that. Um, uh, to me, I think it's clear. Um, I think to some and, and to a lot of people, it, it seems to be clear. But let's face it, uh, documentary t- to some extent is a war shark. You know, we open up lots of can of worms, a lot many cans of worms mm-hmm. along the way, and people bring their own experience and wisdom and baggage to the table and start to focus on different things. Sometimes they relate to certain things. Sometimes they're repulsed by certain things. Sometimes they are, um, uh, you know, sometimes they, they uh, are going to reject uh, certain things. And I think that's fair. Um, uh, but I, I also think if we're going to talk about how um, the evangelical community to the tune of about 80% of their voters helped uplift 
um, Donald Trump into the presidency, we have to follow it to its obvious conclusion, which was the end of his presidency, which ended with uh, an extraordinarily disturbing and historic violent act in which the flag of treasonous traitors who tried to overthrow this country, the Confederate flag flew for the first time in our nation's capital, in the people's house, uh, in, a, in, 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 in a terribly violent act in, in which the people, the majority of people we interviewed in the documentary are Christians, one of whom is, I mentioned, huh. an evangelical pastor, which they found very unchristian-like, but yet they're all over that crowd was Christian iconography, mm-hmm. were crosses, oh, yeah. were, oh, were, yeah. were, were statues, was the Virgin Mary, were images of, of Jesus himself in MAGA regalia, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, religious leaders leading prayers, the QAnon shaman breaking into the the house and on the dais, um, uh, leading leading his, his, his mm-hmm. compatriots in a prayer uh, uh, so that God would help assist in in a violent insurrection and overturning of a free and fair election in this country and and mm. uh, you know and, and so i how i say how is that not related to to the story we're telling mm. and very much like like i talk about the origins of, of of evangelical political activism through this very cynical um you know jerry falwell senior did not preach his first uh, sermon on against abortion for five or six years after Roe v. Wade <laughs> until after he saw mm. that this is where the power and the money would be. And to his credit, he was right. And his mm. son carried on that tradition in a 40 plus year multi-generational evangelical dynasty that not only had outsized influence on on presidential politics, but did ultimately succeed in what they claimed their their mission was, which was to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I happened to be in Washington, D.C., interviewing Megan K. Stack, um, who profiled the Falwells after the scandal, who spent a lot of time with them, talked to us in detail about their relationship and, and their marriage as it exists today in the documentary. That day, while we were sitting there in the middle of that documentary, the Dobbs decision was officially uh, released. And I walked about 15, 20 minutes from that interview to the court and took some of those photographs that you see at the end uh, of the documentary mm-hmm. uh, there. And I will say in a peculiar postscript that is not in the documentary. So you get some 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 up to date <laughs> info because we didn't know where it would nice. stand. We didn't know where it would stand as of publication time. Yeah. So we didn't include this title card. But as we sit here today talking, gentlemen, Jerry Falwell Jr., his family, and Giancarlo Granda are still partners in that real estate venture. So the pie chart that you see in the documentary, <laughs> animated, breaking down the ownership, they're all still in bed together, if you will. Um, as, <laughs> as co- Becky Unintended. Falwell, Becky Falwell owns 50.1%. Uh, Trey Falwell, Jerry Falwell III owns uh, 25%, and Giancarlo Granda owns 24.9% of that property right now. Bizarre, but wow. but true. That's so wow. crazy. That's you know, amazing. Yeah. So, so I have, I'm not sure how many times you get um, a documentary idea pitched to you, but I'm going to pitch an idea, okay? Shoot just your think shot, about Pastor Josh. It. Think about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So... <laughs> Okay, so New Apostolic Reformation. Have you heard of these guys? No, but I want to hear Donald Trump pronounce it. <laughs> well, okay. 
All I'm the saying is that the new Epistopolis of the deliciousness. It's basically about all the guys that everyone prophesying that Trump would win. These Christians, Pentecostals, prophesying because I'm Pentecostal in my in my theology, uh, prophesying that Trump would win. It's absolutely fascinating. We've interviewed several people. Um, one guy on the far right, I mean, he's not on the far right, but he, but he, um, he, uh, investigates them. He's a, he's a professor, um, Damon Barry, unbelievable podcast. He's, he knows all about this. He works. Yeah. I mean, he, it's just really cool. Um, and then we've had Andre Gagne just a few weeks ago. We just released it and he, he is an expert on these guys and, and, and the political power and the political influence. And I'm just going to pitch it to you. <laughs> it is, it would be absolutely fascinating and you would find a lot of stuff and a lot of trails and a lot of connections to political stuff. That's my yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll add to that is that. I think one of the reasons your film really resonated a lot, especially like within sort of the experts and folks that we talked to on this show, is it's probably the the first large scale um, expose about the the Christian nationalism um, and the tie of the religious right to like the um, Trump you know, wing of whatever, or the Republican party at large, like, like there just really isn't anything out there that, that makes that tie. Um, and you know, cause we, we would know, we would have them on the show and we would talk to them, you know, <laughs> like lots of reporters, lots of experts, lots of people, but like your documentary is the first that's kind of directly tied the two together, um, in a really, really good way. So, um, yeah, well, we, I second know, we, call, we call what we do synthesis journalism. You know, we see it on the shoulders of you, you can see through the archive footage of a lot of people who have done extraordinary, you know, contemporaneous shoe leather journalism. Um, but I, I think it's helpful to have it put together, you know, to sort of take a hypothesis and, and, and kind of present it in a package that is, you know, entertaining, but that also puts together the facts and, and some of this journalism. I, I will say that um, uh, I think the pillow guy says Trump is president right now, right? I mean, uh -huh. isn't, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Isn't that <laughs> yeah, I think he's on his so like 12. These are true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guys who said they, they would say, no, we didn't. We, the prophecy was true. They stole the election. Right. Isn't there like a date that keeps, they keep sliding. The date keeps sliding. But there's a date in which Trump is going to be like officially reinstated, right? Revealed this again. Is, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the rub for me. Again, like, you know, uh, you know, because because I just like again replacing religion with this. You know, replacing religion with politics, replacing religion with false idols, replacing God with strong men. You know, like I just I don't I don't understand it. Like it's not consistent with any of Me the neither. Christians that I know or Me that neither. I've ever known or any of the. You know, I, I just it, it's a, it's even after examining it and getting into it and seeing like <laughs> it's happening, it's a real thing. But I still don't get it like it's one i know where the i know where the people on the pulpit are coming from that's power and profit i like i i get it but why but how do they convince other people that this is consistent with what they you know with their faith with what they believed in with, with, with what they've always been taught is true and and i get called a, a sheep by the very same people that are in fact <laughs> a flock and and are, are actually voting exactly the way that they are told 
by a false yeah. idol. I, it's I just it's surreal to me, and it's certainly distressing to me as well because I don't begrudge people their faith, but I certainly I certainly begrudge people being conned. You know, the, a con person or a con man or a con woman mm-hmm. uh, le- leading exploiting people and leading them leading them astray. Uh, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I guess l- last question, what, what, uh, what are you working on next? Kind of what's the a um... nap? Will I need an, <laughs> I could use a nap, uh, yeah. what I could use, but no, we are, we are uh, currently in production. We have, we have, we have, we have seven projects now, but, but one of which is, um, the fifth, uh, title in the cooking Cowboys franchise, hmm. um, after uh, cooking Cowboys, the Kings of Miami, which is now on Netflix. Um, uh, it's called the last of the cocaine cowboys <laughs> in fact um for more reasons than one and uh but it's it's to me if pardon me if we were going to do that again I, I it really needed to have some like mic drop access and we got <laughs> it we got carlos later one of the four original co-founders of the medellin cartel along with pablo escobar uh, rodrigo gacha and jorge ochoa and it's like interviewing al capone it is just, it's like, it's, you're, you're hearing history from the man who not only lived the history, but made it happen. I mean, this is not, a, this is not cooking cowboys. Like, this is like the guy, you know, a short of interviewing yeah. Pablo Escobar, which we couldn't do without a, a seance, you know, um, <laughs> this is, this is, this is extraordinary. Right. And more, you know, the cooking cowboys documentaries in the past have been somewhat provincial. They've been about Miami or Florida mm-hmm. or the United States, but this is about, the how how these guys these cocaine cowboys turned the western hemisphere upside down and then the united states like preposterous reaction with the failed war on drugs just continued that that spiral really and Mm -hmm. so you have the corruption of colombia the bahamas panama nicaragua cuba mexico and the united states so it's this very sprawling you know international kind of epic as told by this really really compelling this pirate at age 70 you know and and you remember he was the guy carlos was the guy who was like the real life james bond villain he owned a uh, an island in the Bahamas. He mm-hmm. had the the prime minister on his payroll for two million dollars a year. So he was <laughs> like he was, you know, and he was considered a bit of a nut too. So we <laughs> talk about all that craziness with him. We spent about four days in uh, Germany. I'm sorry, we spent about a week in Germany uh, with him, um, and and got it all from the horse's mouth. And it was really very, very compelling. Um, and and listen, uh, maybe we'll do a God forbid too. Um, uh, you know, I would love to. I would love to hear from the yeah. Falwells. I think they have. I think they're a really. <laughs> I think they're a really fun, interesting, and complicated. You know, couple. And I. And I. Uh, I yeah. You know. And I mean, Jerry's in the corner right now, uh, watching. You know, me. And um. <laughs> oh, and so I, I would soon. love to to talk. <laughs> too too late, really. Too real. Too real. So, but but anyway, I got to yeah. tell you, like, well, really interesting part of what we do. I always say that the best of our work. Or, or really any good documentary, the best documentaries are just the start of a conversation. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not, they're not all inclusive, but they, they have enough kind of meat to chew on where it inspires other people to, you know, to, to recommend it, to talk about it, to want other people to see it. So you can talk about it and debate mm-hmm. it with them. And I will say like my, you know, my best experiences in talking about this have been with people of faith have been um, with, I was on a conservative like morning 
uh, a talk show in, in, in Virginia, you know, like I think it serves in part the, the Lynchburg market. And I thought it was the most interesting, you know, conversations that I, that I've had about this. Cause I, I think, I think the, the, that's the problem is we're not talking, <laughs> not, mm-hmm. we're just, you know, we're yelling into the Twitter box or we're, you know, or the Facebook machine, or we're, or we're just preaching to the converted and, and we're not having conversations as Americans who may have policy disagreements. We may even have different religions, but, but as, as John F. Kennedy said, um, we all inhabit this small planet. We, we all breathe the same air. We all cherish our children's futures and we are all mortal. And so we have to try to find a way to make the best of this time that we have here together. And who wants to do it acrimoniously? Who wants to do it always <laughs> hating and in fear and yelling and demagoguing? Yeah. It's like, why don't we just, I mean, I, I don't know, dare I say Jesus had the right idea. Why, why, don't, why, don't, why, don't, why don't we, why don't we accept each other? Why don't we accept diversity as our strength? Why don't mm. we accept the mm. love of our, of our, of our neighbor and our, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like there's a happier, better way of doing this. And I think it starts with conversations like this. I agree. You know, and as a podcast, totally so, uh, agree. Being, being, being the West coast liberal and Josh being the, <laughs> the MAGA Republican. Nobody's perfect. Will. <laughs> nobody's perfect. <laughs> I pray, I pray all the time for Josh, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, Hey, I um, need it, bro. Big yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I bet. Yeah, we all need it. But hey, Billy, thank you so much for spending some time with us. This was awesome. Um, Thank you for creating the documentary. God forbid. If you haven't seen it, make sure you see it. Um, And uh, yeah, just uh, uh, good luck on all your future projects. Yes. And Christians should watch this documentary because judgment begins in the house of God. That is a quote from scripture. (laughs) We got to be self-critical before we can be critical of others. Anyway, and, that's and all I got to say. And the House of Hulu. Shameless plug. And the House of Hulu. I have to remind everybody where Hulu. they can see it. Now streaming yes. on, on, on Hulu. Hulu uh, yes. Domestically, and, and I think Disney Plus in, in some of the international markets as well, or wherever the Hulu content uh, winds nice. up. But I really, I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for the for the invitation and the conversation and for covering and for covering this story. All right. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank and you. Uh, we will see all of our uh, viewers and listeners uh, next week. Take care, guys. Bye.